Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 6. Today we will be reading Part 1 on the Councils and Exercises, chapters 20 through 24, pages 89 through 102 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, though, a quick look at what we will be covering today. So as we mentioned in previous episodes, we've gone through a series of meditations, and at the end of those meditations, we've sought to address certain problematic tendencies in our devout life, namely habitual mortal sins and then the desire for habitual mortal sins. And so to address those things, we thought about God and all things in light of God so that we could stir up a sense of contrition and penitence. And the point for St. Francis de Sales is so that you could bring that contrition and penitence to the sacrament of confession. And he's going to describe how to make a general confession, which is when you review your whole life in anticipation of a new stage in that life, and then a profession of the intention to live the devout life. So maybe you've made a Marian consecration and you've written out three pages of that consecration prayer or something like that. So here we're going to do something similar with the devout life. And St. Francis sees this as all part of that first purification, um, which is to say the purification from, from sin and then the different desires for attachments to sins. And he's going to follow on with further purifications that one can undertake in order to encourage this intention as we go along. So let's say a prayer and start in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly. For the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 20. A Genuine Profession So That the Soul May Firmly and Surely Resolve to Serve God I, the undersigned, in the presence of God and the heavenly host, having considered the exceeding mercy of his divine goodness toward me, a most unworthy and wretched creature, whom he created out of nothing, has preserved, sustained, and delivered from so many dangers, and filled with so many blessings, though most of all, having considered the incomprehensible gentleness and mercy with which this good God has so graciously spared me in my sins, so often and lovingly calling me to amend my ways, and so patiently awaiting my repentance and conversion until this blank year of my days upon earth, despite my many acts of ingratitude, disloyalty, and infidelity, by which I have put off my conversion and despised his graces, and have so rashly offended him, and moreover, having considered that on the day of my holy baptism I was vowed and dedicated, blessedly and in all holiness, to God to be his child, and similarly, having considered that, contrary to the profession of faith then made in my name, I have so greatly and frequently profaned and violated my spirit so execrably and detestably, applying and employing it against his divine majesty. At length, returning now to myself, 
I prostrate in heart and mind before the throne of the divine justice, and I acknowledge, confess, and declare that I stand guilty and convicted of high treason against his divine majesty, likewise being guilty of the death and passion of Jesus Christ on account of the sins I have committed, for which he died and suffered the torments of the cross, such that I consequently deserve to be cast away and damned forever. However, Turning now toward the throne of the same eternal God's infinite mercy, and detesting with all my heart and all the powers of my soul the transgressions of my past life, I most humbly beg and request pardon, grace, and mercy, with full absolution from my offenses, through the power of the death and passion of the same Savior and Redeemer of my soul. Firmly resting on this, as upon the only foundation for my hope, I confirm again and renew the sacred profession of faithfulness made to God on my behalf at my baptism renouncing the devil, the world, and the flesh, detesting their wicked suggestions, vanities, and lusts for all the days of this life and for all eternity. Likewise, returning to my most gracious and merciful God, I desire, determine, purpose, and resolve to irrevocably serve and love him now and forever, and to this end I give, dedicate, and consecrate to him my spirit with all its faculties, my soul with all its powers, my heart with all its affections, and my body with all its senses. And I also now profess that I will never more misuse any part of my being in opposition to his divine will and sovereign majesty, to which I offer up and sacrifice myself in spirit, to forever be his loyal, obedient, and faithful creature, without ever recanting these words or repenting of this resolution. But if, alas, through some suggestion coming from him who is my enemy, or through human frailty, I come to transgress in any way whatsoever this my vow and resolution, I profess and resolve from this very hour with the assistance of the Holy Spirit to rise up immediately upon perceiving my fall and to return anew to the divine mercy without any hesitation or delay whatsoever. This is my inviolable and irrevocable will, intention, and resolution, which I ratify and confirm, without reservation or exception, in the same sacred presence of my God and in the sight of the church triumphant, as well as before the church militant, my mother, who hears this my declaration in the person of him who, as her minister, hears me now as I present this profession. May it please you, O my eternal God, almighty and all-merciful Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to confirm me in this resolution and to accept this my heartfelt interior sacrifice, like sweet incense before your throne. And, as it has pleased you to give me the inspiration and will to do this, so now grant me strength and grace to remain true to this resolution. O God, you are my God, O God of my heart, God of my soul, and God of my spirit. Thus I acknowledge and adore you now and for all eternity. May Jesus live. May he live. Chapter 21. Conclusion of this first purification. Once you have made this profession, be attentive and open the ears of your heart to spiritually hear your decree of absolution, pronounced in heaven above by the Savior of your soul himself, sitting on the throne of his mercy amid all the angels and saints, as the priest absolves you in his name here on earth. Thus, the whole host of the blessed, rejoicing in your happiness, will sing a spiritual hymn with incomparable joy and will all give the kiss of peace and fellowship to your heart, which has been established anew in grace and holiness. O Philothea, what a wonderful covenant this is, how blessed an agreement between you and God's majesty. By giving yourself to him, you gain both him and yourself for eternal life. All that remains is to take your pen in hand and write with a joyful heart your profession of conversion. Then, go to the altar where God for his part will sign and seal your absolution along with his promise of the heavenly kingdom, placing himself through his sacrament as a sacred seal and signet upon your renewed heart. See Song of Solomon 8.6. Thus, it seems to me, O dear Philothea, that your soul will be purged from sin and all sinful affections. 
And yet, because these affections so easily revive in the soul through our frailty and concupiscence, which can be mortified but will never be extinguished while we remain here on earth, I will provide you with some counsels which, if you are faithful in keeping them, will preserve you hereafter from mortal sin and from all the affections that led you here, thereby preventing it from ever again being able to take root in your heart. And because the same instructions are likewise of use for an even more perfect kind of purification, before I discuss them with you, allow me to say something about this absolute purity to which I desire to lead you. Chapter 22 on the need to purify ourselves from affections drawing us to venial sins. As the light of dawn brightens, we see more clearly in the mirror the spots and grime on our face. Similarly, as the inward light of the Holy Spirit increasingly illuminates our consciences, we will come to see more plainly and distinctly the sins, inclinations, and imperfections that hinder us on the way toward true devotion. And this very same light, which enables us to see such spots and blemishes, inflames our hearts with the desire to cleanse and purify ourselves from them. Therefore, my dear Philothea, you will find that, besides mortal sins and the affections drawing you toward them, from which you should now be purged through the preceding exercises, your soul still retains many inclinations and affections drawing it toward venial sins. Note well, I am not saying that you will find venial sins there, but rather that you will discover affections and inclinations drawing you toward them. These two things are very different from one another, for although we can never be altogether free from venial sins, or at least we cannot remain in such purity for a long while, we can free ourselves from all affection drawing us to venial sins. For it is one thing to carelessly tell a lie once or twice concerning matters of small importance, and another thing to take pleasure in lying and to be addicted to this sin. Thus I say that the soul must be completely purified from all affections which she may have drawing her to venial sins. In other words, we must not voluntarily nourish a will to continue and persevere in any kind of venial sin, for this would in fact represent a grave defect of will, knowingly cherishing in our hearts something so displeasing to God as a willingness to displease Him. Venial sin, no matter how minor, displeases God, though not enough that He will reject or damn us for it. Therefore, if venial sin displeases Him, willingness and effective attachment to venial sin is nothing other than a kind of willingness to displease His divine majesty. Now, could a generous soul not only displease God, but even go so far as to take pleasure in displeasing Him? Such effective attachments, my dear Philothea, are as directly opposed to devotion as affections drawing one to mortal sins are opposed to charity. They debilitate our spirit's powers, hinder the gifts of divine consolations, throw open the door to temptations, and although they do not kill the soul, nonetheless they subject it to severe illness. Quote, dead flies, says the wise man, make the perfumer's ointment give off an evil odor. End quote. Ecclesiastes 10.1. In other words, flies that merely drink the ointment and then move on, only thereby spoil what they take, leaving the rest in its purity. However, when they die in the ointment, they spoil it and make it worthless. So too, when venial sins come upon a devout soul and remain there for a passing moment, they do not do much harm. However, if the same sins remain in the soul through its effective attachment to them, then they most certainly make her lose the sweetness of her holy anointing, that is, holy devotion. Spiders do not kill bees, but they spoil and contaminate their honey. And if they remain in the hive, they so fill the comb with their tangled webs that the bees cannot continue their work. In like fashion, venial sin does not kill the soul, but when it takes up its abode in our soul through the affection we have for it, it spoils devotion, and so entangles the powers of the soul with evil habits and inclinations, that the soul can no longer exercise devotion, which requires a will that readily performs deeds of charity. 
It may not be all that consequential, Philothea, for us to tell some slight lie, to allow ourselves to be just a little bit out of line in our words, deeds, glances, apparel, merriment, play, or dance, so long as we immediately drive the spiritual spiders out of our consciences, just as bees hunt out the spiders that have found their way into the comb. However, if we permit them to take up residence in our hearts, indeed allowing ourselves to cherish their presence there, allowing them to put down their roots and build a large family there, we will soon discover that all our honey has been destroyed and the whole hive, that is our conscience, has been entangled and destroyed. However, once more I ask, how likely is it that a generous soul would take pleasure in displeasing God and delight in becoming offensive to him, or desire to do what it knows to be offensive to him? Chapter 23 we must purify ourselves of attachment to useless and dangerous things. Games, balls, feasts, fancy dress, shows, and plays, all these are not evil in themselves, but instead are indifferent and may be used either for good or evil. However, such things are always dangerous, and to allow ourselves to be attached to them is even more dangerous. I say then, O Philothea, that although it is permissible that we play games, dance, dress well, watch innocent comedies, and share in feasting, Nonetheless, it is contrary to devotion to be overly attached to such things. Indeed, it is very injurious and dangerous to allow oneself to have affection for them. It is no sin to do such things, but it is a sin to set one's heart on them. What a waste it is to sow in the garden of our hearts the seeds of such vain and foolish affections, which crowd out virtuous impulses and hinder the sap of our souls from nourishing good inclinations. The ancient Nazarites abstained not only from everything that could make them drunk, but even forsook grapes and vinegar, not that grapes and vinegar intoxicate, but rather because the taste of grapes included the risk of temptation to drink wine. See Numbers 6.3. I am not saying that we may never use these dangerous things. However, I do hold that we can never set our affections on them without putting our devotion at risk. When deer become too fat and full, they separate themselves from the herd and go to the woods, knowing that their bulky bodies will not be able to run from the hunter should he come. Man's heart, weighted down with such superfluous, unprofitable, and dangerous affections, cannot run after God readily, swiftly, and lightly, which is the principal aim of devotion. Little children excitedly run after butterflies, and nobody thinks ill of this behavior because they are little children. However, is it not ridiculous, no in fact quite lamentable, to see men in love with such unworthy trifles as those mentioned above, eagerly pursuing them? How unfortunate such people are, for besides the futility of such things, they put us in danger of disordering our souls as we pursue them. Therefore, my dear Philothea, I say that we should purify ourselves from such attachments, for although such acts are not always contrary to devotion, nonetheless the attachment to them is always detrimental to it. Chapter 24 that we must purify ourselves from evil inclinations. But, Philothea, there is more to be considered. We have certain natural inclinations which are not, properly speaking, either venial or mortal sins, because such inclinations do not arise in our own wills. Rather, they are called imperfections, and their acts are termed defects and shortcomings. For example, based on what we know from the writings of St. Jerome, St. Paula had a great tendency to grief and sorrow, so much so that, upon the death of her children and husband, she was in danger of dying of sorrow. This was an imperfection, but not sin, since it was against her desire and will. Some people are naturally cheerful, while others are morose. Some take others' advice only with much trouble, while others are inclined to hold others in scorn. Some are prone to anger, while others to love. Indeed, some such imperfections may be found in nearly all people. However, although they are, as it were, common and natural to everyone, Nonetheless, we may correct and moderate them by exercising care and practicing the virtues that are opposed to such inclinations. 
Indeed, we can even free and purify our souls of them. Yes, my dear Philothea, we must do this. Men have discovered how to change bitter almond trees into sweet ones, merely by piercing them near the root so as to let out their juice. Why then can we not drive out our wrongly ordered inclinations and convert them into good ones? All characters are susceptible to being corrupted by vicious customs, but the reverse too is true. No matter however wrongly ordered some character is, it can always, through God's grace and our dedicated and diligent practice of virtue, be tamed and overcome. Therefore, I will now give you some counsels and propose some exercises for purifying your soul of dangerous attachments and natural imperfections, as well as all attachment to venial sins. In this way, you will increasingly strengthen your conscience against all mortal sin. May God give you the grace to practice them well. All right. In this chapter, we see a few different themes emerge or a few kind of high points or a few remarkable features. The first chapter that we read is a kind of formulary for profession of an intention to live the devout life. Uh, so we touched on the theme uh, in the last episode, but here we see it written out for us. And St. Francis, uh, in order to kind of sum up this first part, is going to follow the trail back from grave acts, right? So grave sins, habitual mortal sins, to then light acts, you know, we can think here of uh, less problematic tendencies in the spiritual life, to affections, right? The type of desires that we describe for sins, and then ultimately to the inclinations, which is to say the ways in which our heart's tendency to created goods is sometimes a little bit crazy or wonky or however you want to describe it. And so he says, effectively, we're going we're gonna to follow that thread back. We're going to follow that trail back to the root of sin so that we can expose it to the grace of God and we can experience the fullness of God's healing and elevation in the life of grace. So Father Jacob Burchin, as we do this, you know, we've, we've, we're following trails back or threads back, or maybe we're doing a little bit of excavation. What are some tools for this process or what are some ways in which we can do it well as St. Francis counsels? I think just by first adhering to what he is proposing here, what what you've explained too is that this general confession, and we can talk about what that might you know look like. Saint Francis explained it a bit, but we can talk about that. But to recognize that you know it's one thing, and we've been talking about this theme of of sort of choosing and acting, and um, it's one thing to say we all know this. It's one thing to say something that I want to do something or I'm going to do something, and it's another thing to do it, and. Uh, we've talked about sort of relying on the sacrament of penance, its form to to inform the way we approach purification and purgation. Um, it's one thing to to say that that's good, but it's another thing to do it. And um, we sort of, you know, as St. Francis talks about, kind of like solemnize the action here by make it real by making a confession. And it's important to recognize that what we do um, as disciples of Christ, as his followers, is not just words. It's not just what we say, but it's what we do. And there's a both and. So um, it makes sense that, you know, when you think about it, that if we're going into this purgation, if we're going into this purification, this rooting out, not just of sin, but as Father Gregory was explaining, even like the roots of sin, that we would do so by um, by also acting on it, by availing ourselves of his mercy. So that's something that when I was reading, I was like, yeah, that that makes sense because, it, you know, it makes sense to sort of engage the entirety of us in this process, I guess, as it were. Yeah. And I think, too, uh, what what we find is that as we grow in faith, God's going to illumine our consciences. He's going to give us the minds to see what keeps us from him or what poses obstacles or impediments on our journey to him. 
And then he's also going to strengthen our resolve, which is part of the inspiration of these chapters, the end of this part one. So he gives us the resources that we need, the interior resources, the exterior resources. Specifically, he kind of fans into flame the fire of love in our hearts so that we can fight because it's a fight, it's a combat, and it's not going to be easy. Um, and what he's saying, we should we should exercise a kind of violence, right? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. And we exercise that violence towards sin, sinful inclination, all that goes with sin. Um, and I think here, you know, in our confessional practice, from your knowledge of hearing confessions, uh, maybe what are, what are some ways that we can be on the lookout for this process to unfold? How might God give us the minds to see and the hearts to, to endeavor, the hearts to fight? And where are we going to pick up traces of those graces in our life? Yeah, the one thing I think we should, I don't know, not make a caution for or against or just, yeah, caution people to be aware of. Maybe that's the way to put it. I don't know. But that part of growing in holiness is becoming sensitive to our to our sins or more sensitive to them or recognizing that things that we've done that we thought were kind of indifferent actually might be, you know, kind of sinful. And that's not something we have to sort of poke and prod at ourselves necessarily. But as we become more and more divorced to sin, it becomes sin becomes more highlighted in the face of in the light of holiness, in the light of that pursuit. So on the one hand, as you know, as we continue to grow in the devout life, we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that we are, you know, yeah, more sensitive to the reality of our of our failures. That ought not make you despair or kind of like worry that like, oh no, what am I going to do? It's just going to be a continual onslaught of me feeling bad about myself, but recognizing that in that our Lord is still purging away, rooting out these inclinations. And then as far as like where to look for, for strength and it's like, like making the choice to go to confession uh, to make this general confession as a sort of act, our whole uh, the whole of our lives can be these sort of acts of choosing God, right? So deciding what we do in our relationships, deciding how we sort of, um, you know, what we do in our free time, deciding how we approach the sacraments in our prayer life, like all of these moments of allowing Christ in are, are moments and opportunities to be with him and strengthened by him. So we can think something even as simple as like putting a crucifix up in our house, you know, like seeing that, being reminded of Christ on the on a more regular basis, even things as simple as those kind of sacramental things strengthen us. They they re-inject Christ into the simple moments of our lives, which is super important. I think here too, um, sometimes, you know, we want this to happen in our life. Uh, so we want to be attentive to God. We want to be on the lookout for God. We want to have a deeper sense of the presence of God. And when we go to the sacrament of confession, sometimes we have it in our minds that, okay, God is at one end and sin is at the other end and they have nothing to do with each other, right? So if I'm going to get closer to God, I need to just accuse myself of all kinds of things. And so we start imagining things that we've done or we're not entirely sure whether this or that is a sin. And so we just kind of cover our bases by naming it. And we try to tease out the details of every particular instance in which it may have occurred because there's this kind of desire, this care, this solicitude to express our contrition so that way we can grow into God. And, and here, I really do want to highlight the fact that God is going to illumine our consciences. He's going to give us the minds with which to see and that he's going to, you know, give us the hearts with which to fight. So he's going to, he's going to strengthen our resolve and that his grace is going to take the lead. So I think we have to be honest before our experience. Um, and, and like you said, to, to, 
fill our environment with different reminders of the presence of God, with different reminders of God, and then to seek to cultivate these interior habits of, of vigilance, we might say, of being on the lookout because the world is charged with the grandeur of God and it's for us to attend to that fact. So maybe your tendency is just to be whatever you would say, like a kind of uh, pack animal with its head down, bearing heavy burdens and just trudging, you know, step by step by step. Or maybe your tendency is to think somewhat like whimsically and magically that everything is great and things are lovely and it's all wonderful and gumdrops and butterflies and blah, blah. Okay, wait, that's fine. Those are temperamental differences. But ultimately, we need to, we need to be in the habit of looking Christ in the face and and intending towards him or attending to him as he gazes back and i think that we you know have the have the resources or we have what we need to do that um, in the context of the sacrament of confession so maybe then with the with the time that remains in this episode we could think a little bit about a general confession i don't know if you have guidelines when people ask you about this question should everyone make a general confession should they do it twice a day should they do it 16 times a year um, what is a general confession for you know maybe just map it out for us a little bit as we wrap up yeah, I think it, with general confession, the name sort of gives it away a bit that it's uh, general refers to like the entirety of one's life. So it's not something that you would probably show up for at like the scheduled hours at your parish, step in the confessional and say, Father, I want to make a general confession. This might be something you do with the priest that you know, or set an appointment for, or at least alert somebody before, because it does, I mean, it's longer, so it takes a, it might take a bit more time. And the point here is, is not that all of these sins haven't been confessed. Some, most of them, you know, if you haven't been to confession in a while, there may be sins that you haven't confessed. But if you're going to confession regularly, a general confession may at some point be worthwhile but it's that that it's a sort of um it's a, not a re-forgiveness of confessed of forgiven sins but a a sort of um uh way by which the sacrament strengthens us in our in, in a sort of highlighted moment of our lives so i think that's key i don't think we should be making general confessions monthly or weekly or even yearly really they should be at uh sort of highlighted moments of our lives so we were encouraged uh before our profession to make a general confession if we wanted to we were you know so maybe before getting married something like that maybe at a big moment in life um i wouldn't say that the the general confession is a necessity um it can be a very helpful thing but it's not as if if i haven't made one then somehow i'm you know, missing like this, there's something incomplete. So I think those are um, a few things with any confession, but particularly a conf general confession, you should take time to prepare beforehand. You shouldn't come into the, the, that moment of confession, not having thought and even come up with a list or these sort of things, because then it's, it just doesn't make that much sense to, to do that. So those would be at least some initial pointers. I don't know if you have different or additional thoughts on it, Father Gregory. Yeah. And then you know, like depending on who you are and where you come from and what you've done, you're going to want to highlight certain things. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't have to be exhaustive in every imaginable detail, but you want to traverse your spiritual life and consider the ways in which God has offered you grace. You may have rejected it. You may have consented to it. But ultimately, those things that have kept you from him, those principal things that have kept you from him. So that way you can entrust those things to him anew, not in the sense like you you said, Father Jacob Bertrand, that they haven't been forgiven uh, if you have made a valid confession since the time of those sins, uh, but so that you can renew your contrition and place them all within the same kind of conversation, right? So we said that we want to undertake this devout life in conversation. Ultimately, it's a conversation with God. So we want to place these things on the table and we can begin to assemble the pieces or we can begin to acknowledge the connections that exist among them so that we have a deepened sense of 
the fact that we are here and that God has loved us to this moment and to this point. Uh, so it's going to feel, you know, perhaps a bit difficult, but if you get a good examination of conscience, that probably, you know, it's going to take you through the Ten Commandments and maybe the seven capital vices, and maybe even take you through the virtues and gifts of the Holy Spirit to acknowledge certain failings in that regard. You know, obviously the precepts of the church would be bedrock. That's the type of thing where, you know, you're going to Sunday Mass and um, you're making a, a valid confession at least once a year. If you're conscious of grave sin, those would be the types of things like the precepts of the church. You can look those up. Um, so it's going to help you. Uh, it's going to motivate you in your devotion if you feel like you're able to all put it into the same conversation. Uh, the, the image that I would use is that it's going to be like wielding a machete as we hack through the vines and creepers, which keep us from attaining to the goal of our journey, which goal is the heavenly Jerusalem. But there's a lot of forest to be traversed between now and then. Uh, but that's good news because it makes our lives very interesting, in fact, even beautiful. So that is it for today. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. To download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics. And we, Father Jake Bertrand and I, are always interested in getting to know the digital community, making more of a real community. So please join us at our next Godsplaining event, whether it be a pilgrimage or retreat or something else. And details and applications can be found at godsplaining.org. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us. And we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics.